This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the show. I'm actually really excited about this episode because I feel like this has been a long time coming. Probably too long. Probably too long. <laughs> you guys, I think... Uh, well, who do we got? We've got Gabe Wilcox and... Jay Snodgrass. Jay Snodgrass. With Scaleview Partners. Formerly, I think you both were formerly of Mineralsoft, correct? Yeah, right. both co-founders of Mineralsoft. So, okay. Let's, uh, let's get some context to this conversation. So both co-founders of Mineralsoft. Mineralsoft, you guys sold to uh, Inveris or Drilling Info at the time. What was that, like 2018? End of 2018, yeah. It was, okay. We barely sold to Drilling Info, and then it became Inveris shortly yeah. thereafter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you guys were like one of the first acquisitions whenever we started doing this in the, in the kind of the podcast scene. Yeah, you said, what was it, was that 2018? Yeah, right before Christmas, 18. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, it was like one of the a memorable thing. I mean, y'all should have been one of our first shows. We, we fucked up there. I know. <laughs> it was memorable to us. I don't know. You, yeah. you, yeah. you guys would be forgiven for it not being as big a deal to you, but it was, yeah. No, was I remember. Good. Look, yeah. I had the date right and everything. <laughs> I remember. So, um, no, because we had started the podcast uh, October 2018. And so I remember specifically that... Uh, Y'all's acquisition and us starting the podcast kind of coincided in, in timing um, to some degree. Um, so we're going to have a lot to talk about today, but let's start off with what is ScaleView? Give us the high-level overview of what that is, and then we're going to rewind it back to Mineralsoft. Perfect. Um, so ScaleView Partners helps founders of tech companies sell their company um, or raise growth capital. Um, so we're an investment bank. Investment bank means a lot of things. Um, yeah, and, you know, typically, <laughs> typically a lot of services involved. When you think about a big Wall Street bank, we do something really, really specific, um, which is just working with founder-led um, tech companies, uh, companies who look like Mineralsoft, frankly, um, in energy and beyond. Um, when they're looking to to sell the business um, or bring in an investor to get, you know, perhaps a little bit of founder liquidity, some growth capital to to ramp the business. Um, yeah. So we'll, so we'll help advise on that process and get to a good get to a good outcome for founders. So that's pretty interesting because you guys uh, walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, y'all built a tech company, successfully sold it. Um, I like to bash on investment bankers all the time, which we have a lot of investment bankers that listen to the show. So I love you guys. But you're so they, but you guys are founders first. Yeah, we're, we're a founder first investment bank. That's like that's like its own category. I we we think so. Um, there's a little bit of that branding probably in the market. Um, we don't think there's a whole lot of substance to it in the in the market in a lot mm -hmm. of cases, and that that's what I think we're bringing. So you don't you don't see that many people who um, you know sort of start a company, go through the journey of growth, sell the company, and then come back and want to do banking. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people may want to be VCs and do that sort of thing, but you know, for us, we we both started our careers on the finance side before we did um, the software company. Yeah. Um, so so we were sort of on that side of the fence. Worked with entrepreneurs all day, and eventually thought we got to got to do it. I mean, I, yeah. I I personally looked up and thought I haven't worked at a quote unquote real company in my in my whole career. I've been in an investment bank. I've been on a private equity firm. You know, what do we build, right? Yeah. Um, and so, well, so I think you guys went down the right path because I think like. Well, you said usually the, the the pipeline is you sell a company, and then if you want to get into finance, you become VC or 
angel seen investor, a lot of rolling, rolling funds yep. popping up. Um, but we don't have to get into this, but I don't think VC's a great model. Um, no, let's, get, by, in, let's, get, in, let's by, get into it today. Well, I mean, six, 60% of VC firms don't return capital to LPs, right? And then if you look at it from the VC perspective, it's not like private equity where you're building up these massive funds that become profit centers to take two and 20. So even if you're fortunate, I mean, like some of the biggest uh, uh, climate tech funds are $700 million that pills in comparison to private equity, right? And so I was always interested in the banking side because I'm like, oh, this is cool. You just do all the M&A, um, capital raises, things of that nature. And then you take, uh, take a couple points or whatever that may be. And you can start to get to larger numbers that way. So um, how did you guys think about that? I'm curious because like you said, like it is very, you see it all the time, founders exit and then they just go and become VCs. Was it just something that you guys were familiar with coming from the banking side or was it you just favored the model or? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go first and let, let Jay weigh in. But I mean, for me, it's, um, first of all, it's like a, a, an attempt at an honest evaluation of what I'm good at and what I'm not as good at. I think I'm an okay investor. Um, I won't show you my my you know trading accounts, but I'm like I'm like I'm an, I'm an okay investor. Um, we need to pour up some whiskey that way. We can get, right? get him coerced. Right? Let's pull up the trading accounts. I want to see this. Right yeah. um, How much money have you lost in crypto over the last few weeks? I am uh, that. Not, so I haven't. I'm not on that one. For better or for worse, not 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 on that on that road. But but. I do think I'm a, I'm pretty good I'm I'm a pretty good deal guy. I like I like deals. Um, you know, we we were able to have a really good outcome with our company. Um, and it was fun. And it's just you know you got to try to do the work that you enjoy and that you're good at. And I and that's kind of my self assessment. Um, the second one would be there's a lot of capital out there, right? And and I mean things are changing day to day. But um, even with the public market volatility, there's a ton of capital out there. And so yeah. like. No, um, no knock on all my friends who are raising funds. It's a it's a very good business to be in, and it's a it's um, if you're good at it, then it's a you know an incredibly good business to be in. It's super high leverage, but there's a lot of capital, and I don't know if the world needed another fund um, to go yeah. chase the latest deal. Um, but based on our experience at MineralSoft selling it, and again, I I did this at the beginning of my career. I sort of realized after running MineralSoft, I didn't know shit about running a company when I was just doing the finance thing, and so I know a little bit more now. Um, but having sold the thing myself, like there's real value to a good advisor to help walk you through that and help you get to a good outcome. It is just a, you know, for me and for Jay, um, and uh, unless it's sort of your third or fourth exit, it's just a monumentally important transaction, you know, to, to mm -hmm. you financially and otherwise, right? It's your baby. You've, you've sort of bled into this company for years. And so that, that sale is a really big deal um, on the financial side and on the personal side. And I, I just, you know, I really appreciate the value of somebody who can, you know, maximize your chance for a, a win, right? Yeah. Um, because, you, you know, you don't necessarily get that many at-bats to do it right. Um, so that's what drew me to the yeah. side of it. I mean, I think the other cool thing about being on the M&A side in particular, so never mind, like, being on the, on the investing side versus advisory side, but even with an advisory, being on the M&A is awesome because if we do our job right, like, every time our clients, they're... they're almost always first time founders and the nature of M&A is like, they're coming into like immense wealth the first time in their life, like they're 50, hundred million dollars that, you know, they had nothing. They have a, a rented apartment and, and they have, <laughs> you know, college debt and, and bills. And all of a sudden now they've got, you know, significant tens of millions of dollars in their bank account. And we get to do that, you know, 
a dozen times plus maybe two dozen times a year when we're at peak, that's awesome. Yeah. And like on the, on the venture side or on the private equity side, you know, outside of like last year or was wild with exits, but typically you have, you know, two or three exits a year of your entire portfolio. And it's taken, you know, years and years. That's a cool feeling too, because you've been with them for a long time, but I mean, we get to, you know, vicariously relive like our mm-hmm. like fun moments of like when we, when we sold the company. Yeah, that's, and, that's gratifying. Are you yeah. guys focused on certain sectors? We're, we're all technology focused. Um, you know, our company was uh, a vertical, other than being an oil and gas company, which it was, it was a vertical SaaS company. And so when, when we've looked at whether it's oil and gas or like, you know, um, management software for gyms and health clubs or something like they're there's sort of a, a vertical SaaS playbook. Like those companies tend to look alike and share some common themes. And so we're, we're pretty focused on that. Um, I would guess just, you know, given the market dynamics of the last, you know, five years or so, I guess three out of four deals that we end up doing will be SaaS companies of, of one kind or another. And we are, the main thing we're really focused on is, you know, we call it founder led, like it doesn't have to be bootstrapped, I, you know, to my point before capital has been pretty easy to come by for a decade or more. Um, but we're not mostly in the business of, um, sort of talking to VCs to say, what do you need sold? How can we sort of help you cycle through the fund? That, that, that business is fine, but we're really out there going kind of bottoms up and just want to talk to founders about their business, whether there's a deal today or not. Um, we think that's, you know, in the back of people's minds at some point. Um, so I'd say that's our, that's our main thread, all tech, probably a lot of SaaS, but we're pretty flexible. The really common thread is it's kind of a founder led, you know, business. And that's what Jay said. It's, it's fun in that respect where that's how we spend our time talking to people about that. You know, it's a pretty fun way to spend your day, all yeah. things considered. Um, and it's really fun on the outcome side. Yeah. Um, it's a good thing sure. to be a part of. So let's, I want to, I want to roll back the conversation a bit and talk about one, you said you all both had backgrounds in finance mm-hmm. uh, before MineralSoft. So I want to hear from both of you real quick what y'all did before MineralSoft. And then I want to talk about, you know, that this podcast is about SkillView, but it's going to be a lot about MineralSoft because we mm-hmm. never we never had that podcast about MineralSoft, right? And so I want to know y'all's backgrounds before MineralSoft, how you guys started MineralSoft, you know, what led to uh, discovering the problem, creating a solution. Like, let's tell that whole story right now. So first, tell me about what you guys were doing before Mineralsoft. I'll, I'll start at, I was um, out of college, right out of college. I worked uh, for a fund in New York. And we were doing, talk about, you know, being a former like deal junkie. We were, I don't know, a team of 10 people. And we were doing on average 100 to 200 deals a year. So every day you're working on, you know, a dozen <laughs> deals at different stages. And it was mostly um, a growth capital for small uh, public, really small public companies and also some private companies. And it was sort of, you know, one to five million type investments, sometimes highly structured. And we were doing a lot of stuff in, um, in, in capital intensive industries. So oil and gas was a big one. Mining was a big one. Um, but also some tech stuff and, and, and what have you. And I did that for, I was there for about 10 years um, before coming to join with Gabe to do mineral stuff. And we'll get into that, how that linked up. And I don't know. my background was working at the same fund doing just deal junkie, doing deals, yeah. deals, deals, deals. And that was cool. Just popping out deals. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was great. Cause you know, talking to, I sort of learned actually 
going into later to mineral software, I ran sales. That's where I really cut my teeth and sort of learning sales. And you know, I was my job was sourcing, and my, that meant that like I was cold calling CEOs. I was whatever my early twenties, <laughs> calling guys in their fifties, and you know asking them if they if, you know if it made sense. For it us very much is a sales process, right? I mean, you're having to build a relationship with these people, sell them on yep. your firm. Why would they use you? And so, yeah, I mean really is a sales process. I'm not sure what's not sales. I haven't. Yeah. What isn't? Yeah. What isn't sales? I mean, (laughs) that's why I tell everyone soft skills makes the money. Um, I tell a lot of engineers that because everything in life is sales. So yeah, agree with that a hundred percent. So what was your background in finance? Yeah. I, um, I grew up in Arkansas in a little town North of Little Rock. That'll be important to the storm. Not just plug in Arkansas, but <laughs> go, go Hawks. So, um, hey, Arkansas doesn't get a ton of plugs on, on the it's, show, it's, so it's, give it's them some better, love. You, it's a better time to say go Hawks. Probably now the, the, probably the first time from, yeah. anybody's ever been on from Arkansas. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not a big state population-wise um, at all. Uh, most of them are there. Um, but so after college, I worked... Um, I worked in finance. I worked at an investment bank that looked something like what we're doing here in Palo Alto. Um, so we were helping founders sell their businesses. At the time, it was a lot of um, a lot of internet marketing was kind of in its early days. Mm-hmm. So you know, SEO and SEM companies, lead gen companies, which was not a dirty word, but was maybe becoming a little bit of a dirty word. I think it's kind of come back in a, in a good way now. There's some good good ones out there. Yeah. So is this um, like mid two thousands or this like was like two thousand eight or so. Yeah, so yeah. I was on that desk when when Lehman well, you know went down. Yeah. And um, you know, and the owner of that firm sort of gathered us together, and he's like, you know. The, bad news is Lehman went down and that's going to be a pretty big, you know, pretty big ripple. The good news is you guys work at this shitty little investment bank out in Palo Alto, not at Lehman. So you guys are in great Man, shape. So, like, you know, so life many. is basically the same. Now my mind's running with, we got to, we got to talk about the contrast between that time and what's happening in markets now. So sure. let's, let's get into that later. Yeah. Uh, I want to yeah, talk about, yeah. we're going to take this conference. It's maybe a fucking three hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I got a hard stop. Just order in some lunch. Yeah. Um, I did so. I, I did that, which was again, it's the deals business, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was also a cold calling business. I was, I was same as Jay. I was on a desk calling CEOs. Really good. Um, I think cold calling is really good for anybody earlier in their careers. Um, just like you said, soft skills is important to have. Super educational if you're lucky enough to get into a spot where you're actually calling that level. Um, cause like what a business education. And that's kind of what I thought, like my family, I come from a family of entrepreneurs on a small scale. We had a, like a, we had a gas station in a, yeah. our small town of Oregon. Right. But, uh, I thought, I don't know, investment banking, I don't know. I really want to learn about business. I want to learn like how businesses work. And that actually turned out to work out really well. I mean, talking to CEOs of real companies all day, the ones that didn't hang up on me. Um, uh, <laughs> don't let the one to ask how old you were. We had a bunch, right? So it was, this, it was this like boiler room of, you know, young people, early 20s on their, on, you know, on the phones. And every now and then one of us, not, not every now and then, frequently, it would get quiet enough where the rest of the group could hear somebody say something completely stupid on the phone, right? And then we, then we'd live with it forever. And my, my, my best probably was I'd called a guy and he was chatting with me and he said, you know, I was trying to give him my pitch. He said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've pulled up your website here and I'm looking at your picture. How old are you anyway? I was, I guess I was 22. And I said, uh, uh, 
25 or, <laughs> or so. <laughs> <laughs> or so. <laughs> it's so uh, like, dude, that reminds me, you know. I had this story. Um, so I was at Hillcorp's uh, headquarters and we're in one of their big boardrooms and I'm 24 years old and I'm uh, leading this uh, completions project uh, on one of their wells up in the Marcellus. And uh, we got probably, I don't know, 15 people around this boardroom table. And we've got the Marcellus field office on video call as well. And when I'm 24, like I don't have a beard, I can't grow facial hair and baby face. I look like I'm 12. And the way that they open up this meeting is one of the executives of Hillcorp. It's like, I want everyone to know that uh, Colin may look like he's a fucking kid, but he knows what he's talking about. So just give him a minute. To, you know? Like, I know I just like turn my beat red. I'm like, Man, awesome. fuck these guys. Yeah. So then well, he climbs out of his high chair to begin the presentation. Yeah. <laughs> but look at you now. You made enough money to get those beard plugs, which look yes, really yes, good. Look yes. very good, actually. Which now, let's give a shout out to our sponsor. <laughs> Yeah. So you, uh, yeah, I know, I know that feeling of embarrassment, but it's pretty funny to be like well, 24 or so, you know, he's, he's, he's it, counting. <laughs> like in the end, the feeling of embarrassment is also an important part of, of why you should have that experience. Right. It's like, you know, I, I, I didn't make up the phrase that like, um, not being afraid of no is like an incredible superpower. Yeah. I um, mean, whatever you do. Yeah. Um, and it's unbelievable people who are able to internalize that. It's really hard. Um, and being you being able it. to fail too, being able to yeah. fail, like be willing to fail, and as long it's okay to fail as long as you learn something from that failure and yeah. and redo it's it. Really and, bringing down the ego to be yeah. able to fail, and um, you know, I, th I think that most successful founders will will tell you that hey, failures to be celebrated, and you got to yeah. be able to embrace that. So yeah, I didn't really ever think that maybe you should be embarrassed in your, in your, in your early years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was well-earned. Like I definitely should have been embarrassed about that and, and was. How did, how did, so, so banking, finance, mineral soft. Yeah. Closing the gap there. Like how, it, how did you guys come up with this idea? Was it something that you. How did y'all link up? And yeah. then how did y'all yeah, come yeah. up with the idea? So I, I, I spent three more years. Um, I switched to the buy side and worked at a private equity fund in Boston. Spent three more years um, doing that. And then, um, you know, that's probably when I sat up and, and had that realization that I made or, or the comment on earlier, which is like, I've never worked for a real, a real company. I don't even know what it is. I talk to them all day, but I don't really even know what that's like. And so, um, what I should have done if I'd had the guts was probably just left that job and kind of sat in my room for six months or something until I figured out what I wanted to work on. It's not what I did. What I did instead was take out a loan and start business school. Um, so I went to Wharton, not knowing what uh, for my MBA, but like not really knowing why I was there other than to figure out what I wanted to do next, which yeah. is it was still really fun, um, of course, uh, but business school is super fun for the people who are not going through that, the people who just kind of have it figured out. Like if you were at Bain before and then Bain's paying for business school and you're going back to Bain afterward, that that's the setup right there. It's just like a good time where yeah. I'm kind of over on the side, like thinking about, you know, what do I do? I'm not going to jump into recruiting here and I've paid all this money and I'm not even doing the recruiting. Like, what do I been trying to figure out what I want to do? Um, so that summer I was back out in San Francisco and, uh, links back up with a former colleague from, uh, from my investment banking days. He had become John Parker, shout out John Parker. Um, he had become a full-time software engineer, um, in the, you know, 10 years or whatever since. And he was at a spot where he'd been a part of a couple startups. 
he was looking to do his own thing. So the timing was right, right? We're both on that same journey to kind of figure out. And thank God for me, he can actually write code. So I'm like, okay, finally. <laughs> and that's the running joke in the MBA program, right? It's like, you would, you would literally see flyers posted around the undergrad buildings that are like, MBA seeks undergrad <laughs> who can code, you know? And it was like, like okay, I need, you know. And a code monkey, come. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. And uh, unfortunately for the MBAs, like the market, even then had already realized that it was it was the code monkey who had all the value, right? The MBA mm. was just hoping to get in the middle. Yeah. So I, I got lucky to get, and I didn't finish. The only reason John probably agreed to start the company with me is that I didn't finish my MBA. So I left after the first year. Um, Here's where the Arkansas thing comes back in. John hadn't worked in oil and gas. Um, I hadn't worked in oil and gas. But I had, because my, you know, to take it way back, my, um, one of my grandfathers was just this, like, sort of small time, like, country trader. He's, like, land buying and selling. You know, he did, he, he had the convenience store idea. He was, he was an entrepreneur, but, you know, classic, like, country entrepreneur. He'll yeah. buy anything, sell anything, trade anything. Why do I feel like he was selling pelts? Like, yeah, if you got a good deal on me, well, yeah. so, <laughs> there's a, there's a ton of, there's a ton of stories for him. What, but you know, closest to pelts is he, uh, he wants, let's see, he wants like past a wrecked refrigerated truck on the road that had TV dinners, like Swanson's TV dinners in it. And he paid, paid the guy 20 bucks or whatever to let him load his truck up. And he hawked, he didn't sell him out of the convenience store. Don't worry. Nobody just don't get the wrong idea. <laughs> He did like sell them on the side and mostly give them away to friends and family. So it was yeah. like he was doing you a big favor by giving you a dozen. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would be the thing. I'm always fascinated. Like there's certain people like that um, that you come across that are just good at making money in the most oddball ways. I know yeah. like two personally that come to the top of my, my yeah. mind that, you know, they're not people that would like go build and scale companies, but right. they're just good at finding go make a couple, ways to make a couple money. hundred thousand dollars on French bulldogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. What? Yeah. You, you just spent $70,000 on this dog? He's like, well, I made 500,000. That's incredible. Shout out to JT if he's yeah. listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's deal guys, right? Yeah. Like natural deal yeah. guys. I mean, there, there's awesome. a lot of, min there's a lot of minerals guys. And I guess that's, well, know, that's, right. that's where yeah. we transitioned. But there's a ton of mineral guys where that's how they made their money is they're, they're deal guys. Just and wheeling and dealing. That's right. Wheeling yeah. and dealing, especially back in the day when it was a little less efficient to market and, and they were finding, you know, people who needed money and yeah. had minerals and then they were making trades. Yeah. So is that, it was your grandfather um, do some mineral deals? Or? So he did <laughs> sort of accident, accidentally, right? Okay. Um, I don't know if he ever did a deal that he really knew to be a mineral deal or did it for that reason, but he also was savvy enough to, you know, he probably bought and sold, you know, a thousand different parcels of land. Right. And, <laughs> and probably every time he stripped the mineral rights if he could. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, fast forward now, unfortunately one, for one, me. I love that yeah. because like Jake and I bought some old stripper wells up in Oklahoma back in 2018. And the top question that we get from like engineers and the industry is like, how, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. We just went and found a deal mm. and put yeah. some money together. And <laughs> like, I didn't want to sell them. We wanted to buy it. That's it. But like that, like you hear about your grandfather and you're like, you didn't really even have any underlying knowledge of what he was doing. He just putting pieces together and making it happen. Yeah. So I love that. Just like people that just do shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's right. I have a lot of respect for that too, yeah. especially, you know, with no, you know, with, with kind of no, no platform going into it. And yeah. that's the other good thing about that, that kind of work ethic is you don't need a platform. You build, you build a platform just by, by hustling yeah. over time. Um, so he definitely had that. 
so I, I ended up with, um, by this point, things have been passed on and deeded and whatever. So I, I was getting, um, this is all Arkansas stuff. It's like Fayetteville shale. And so I was getting, um, at this point, sporadic checks, not big money, a couple hundred bucks, you know, every now and then. And then this like, 350 page statement with the royalty check you know that was bp of, right Thank uh you. we had bp with bhp bhp <laughs> uh, which had had southwestern at that time those are the big ones at that That's at right. that time right um bp2 though and uh and so as so look at some point as we're cycling through you know john and i are you know it's classic we're in this room with a whiteboard and we're writing down random you know french bulldogs may have been on the list we're like what do we do how do we make money how, what do we do french bulldog soft and at some point i'm like <laughs> This is a really weird one, right? But there's there's this thing. I got this check, which is fine. Um, it's not not a great check, but I got this statement with it, and this thing's a fucking mess, right? This is like a crazy. I think I'm a smart enough guy. I've actually tried to spend an hour, and because you know the whole family's getting a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's not a big difference maker for us, but it's it's not nothing. Yeah. But I'm like, surely someone here knows what's going on, right? Yeah. Quickly found out nobody knew what was going yeah, on. They were, they were, they, your I was thought process the is like two minutes. Someone can explain. Totally. Explain I was the first one to yeah. ever even look at the statement very carefully, right? It's just rip the check. Go <laughs> yeah. the yeah. That's it, right? Yeah. And so I, I thought, well, this, this, this seems like a problem that this, that this is sort of what's supposed to tell me, you know, and my uncle and my cousins and whatever, all the, you know, people, they're not industry folks. And this is how they expect to give you the background on why the check was $211.34, right? Mm -hmm. This is this is pretty weird. There's something going on here. And John had worked on, um, from a software development standpoint, he had done some stuff where they were trying to take, and I think it was an insurance. They were trying to take sort of messy, like, forms like that. I think it was claims, the insurance claims yeah. data. And make sense of it, you know, to at a, at a high level, right? Pull out the data, like standardize the data, figure out what's going on, organize it into some consumable format. So he's like, you know, from an engineering standpoint, this challenge is it's, it is something I've worked on before. Um, is there an industry here? And you know, this this you know, I'll never forget. We we made a couple of quick calls. We talked to a guy back in Arkansas who was like a local kind of mineral flipper, and he said. Um, and we didn't know anything. We're just like, what? What is this industry? How does how does it work? And he gave us some basics. And he said, you know, it's too bad um, that you guys just missed it. I think what I would have recommended is there's this conference called NAPE, and you know, it's in Houston, and I think it just happened. But if you could have gone there, then like you would have you would have learned what was what, what this was all about. And we looked at the computer, and NAPE was in three days, and we're in San Francisco, and we're like, we should try to figure it out right i think we should get a ticket and go what and year was so, this what's that what year was this this is uh this is summer 14. so summer 14. i was like, at that name yeah <laughs> I was at that name. yeah there was our eyes were wide you know, <laughs> <laughs> needless to say well, that was right? probably the biggest that's probably the biggest name that's probably the biggest name in attendance yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 every year is incredible I remember sort of like a bikini made of cash. And yeah. It was that. <laughs> yeah. Things yeah. were, you know, it was big. You go to the, you go to the Pemex booth and you're like, whoa, <laughs> you don't work in oil and gas. A little side note, my first name was 08. And I remember seeing all the guys hawking private jets. And I'm looking at the market going like that. Oil is going up. And I was like, this, this doesn't seem, there's a line to go line up to like, <laughs> yeah. look about buying a private jet. Yeah. And I was like, 
this makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> I flew in from New York and everyone's panicking back there and these guys are thinking about buying jets, yeah. right? Wait, so do they have like a jet vendor? Oh, they have jet vendors. Yeah, they, jet, they had two or three of them there and it was yeah. a lie. You had, to, you had to line up for 20 minutes to talk to the guy. <laughs> yeah, we need to get, we need to get jet vendors. $47 oil, you kidding me? It was wild. <laughs> God. Uh, but we, anyway, I, I'll short circuit that part of the story. We, we went to Nape. We actually went on Vista Print and we, that's when we named the company. Um, because we were like, well, we gotta have cards. We gotta have business cards, like that say something. So in three days, you were just like, we were mineral soft. Mineral soft. We were cards. Soft. Damn, I forgot about uh, this. We got print. these. We got the <laughs> yeah. like cheapest whatever. Fat. We paid, you know, whatever, a tenth of a cent per That's card. Was was say, lowest yeah. quality. We probably paid a hundred bucks to get them the next day because we had to have them at the. All at the of, event. It was all in the shipping and expediting. <laughs> we stayed at a place, and here's a shout out I'll give here in Houston. We stayed at a place called the Athens Inn and Suites. Um, okay. Downtown. It is. Um, I don't get in trouble with any of your sponsors here if, if that's a sponsor it's by far the worst hotel and i'm a connoisseur of bad hotels. first off we are like we don't give a fuck about big on it sponsors we hurt feelings so <laughs> it would be it would be really funny if they were actually that's where the money went as yeah. guys, like, actually, uh, it was um and i love i'm a i am a kind of i'm a bad hotel guy i've put more people in the red roof in and I, I love the red roof I, to me that's not a bad hotel <laughs> This was this was really bad. Like, I got it the next. So if red roof is good. I'm just, I'm scared to see what bad looks like. I had an early like. early flight out after Nape, and I got up and I was trying to catch my my car to the airport, and the uh, front doors were chained shut from the inside, and I just couldn't I couldn't get out. <laughs> chains on the doors. There were chains on your. They wouldn't let heavy, you out of your room. Heavy chain. No, my my room was open. I got down to the lobby. I, like my car was waiting outside. And there are just heavy chains locking the front doors from the inside. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Sort of like a button ring and, and the clerk's <laughs> on I call or whatever. And finally I bang on the door and the guy like wakes up. He's been like, like Quasimodo comes out with a jingling. <laughs> <game. laughs> exactly. To get me out of there. Yeah. It was, uh, it was crazy, but that was Nate. So we did Nate and we, and we, you know, we met, um, we met the royalty clearinghouse guys at, yeah. at Nape. We stopped by their booth and met Todd O'Neill, who uh, eventually uh, joined us, worked with us after after a, a, quite a long path. Um, but we met, you know, the, we met them from that basically day one, and uh, you know, learned enough to get us excited and, and think, let's like investigate this a little bit more, work on it a little bit more. And I made the really right, you know, we were sort of in that in between, like, and that's a question that a lot of people ask or i'm sure you get that too like how'd you know how'd you jump off whatever and do the thing and i my answer is that it's like and this my wife's okay i've said this in front of her but to me it's a little bit like the question of like how'd you know to get married and it's like i don't know i mean you you do for sure and you also don't for sure there's no calculus that you I just roll the dice says, you know it's <laughs> <laughs> not, not to understate that like the magical feeling of love and meeting your spouse because that's you know obviously a real thing um but it's but it's a similarly like non-rational you just kind of do it right i mean that and, goes uh, into i mean much deeper topic for another time but um a lot of people especially in this industry when they're engineers and geologists are very analytical um, minded and sometimes that can hurt you um, if you're uh, too analytical you get an analysis paralysis and really you know talking about do you just know I mean there's a lot of science behind uh, how much faster processing is for decisions on a mm. subconscious level I mean, it's just like you know it's a cliche gut feeling like 
yeah, hey, this is this is worth taking a shot on. So I can't even sit there and articulate like, how did you know? Like you just did. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what right. was uh, so? What did the actual mineral soft software do? Like, what problem were we solving? I know you talked about the complexity of the checks and things like that. So yeah. was this? Were you kind of working to build software on the behalf of uh, like royalty owners, or was it a marketplace for minerals? Or walk it's, us through that. It's a good question. Do you want to start? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I can start. I, the The first plan we thought was the right market was to go find people like Gabe, who yeah. had two hundred dollar checks, because we went. The other conference we went to was a NARO conference, the National Association of Royalty Owners. And that's a fun one if you haven't been to one of those. Different kind of crowd. <laughs> <laughs> More of the bingo crowd. But uh, <laughs> now I want to go. I want to go to one. There's a I bunch drove, of people who yeah. paid a thousand dollars, a hundred dollar ticket, and you know travel expenses, to, and they have two thousand royalties a year. They just want to go for a social thing, yeah. to go hang out with other people. But we I, drove, I drove from Philly to the Biltmore Hotel uh, in my Honda Fit by myself, and it's a long drive, and it's a weird drive, like to go to a neighborhood, to go to a narrow event at the, at the Biltmore. And of course, I was staying like five miles down. So it was in Asheville. Yeah, uh, you know, outside, right? right outside Asheville. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, with the casino in the basement and yeah, and uh, the whole whole deal. Um, sounds like a blast. The next sure. one I met you, I met you the next one at State College, and I took a that's bus right. from New York City to State College. That's, that's right. a long ass bus ride. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. flights were like flights were like fifteen hundred dollars round trip, even way in advance. I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, the Greyhound was that's right. Whatever, hundred so bucks round be, trip. You got to be committed to take uh, a bus to the State College yeah. from committed. New York City from Manhattan. That was brutal. But committed, yeah. cheap, or broke. Uh, all the above. Above. Yeah. 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 Time. But the last one that being broke makes you pretty committed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, but we, so we thought that the, we thought the original market would be, I don't know if you guys are like, like a mint.com, like a personal mm-hmm. finance that helps you look at all your credit cards and, and stuff and see what you're doing. We thought the same model would work for minerals. And we were like, well, you go to, you talk to neighbor and they tell you there's whatever, you know, 10 or 20, whatever the number 20 million people in America who have, who own royalties. We're like, well, that's a massive market, blah, blah, blah. But we quickly realized like that the, you know, there's a really long tail. There's a lot of people either getting, just have minerals and don't have royalties. They haven't, there's no production. That's a big chunk of them. The second one who have it, there's a lot of people making like Gabe, you know, Gabe actually would have been towards the middle. There's a lot of people making a hundred dollars a year. Like, that's a great, yeah. one check, right? That's a great point and, because that's, I mean, first thing my mind goes to is large total addressable market and aggregate, but how much money is actually in that market mm-hmm. when it's small, very fractionalized uh, mineral owners, you know, at $200 checks. So tough, I mean, tough crowd, tough business. Um, well, you're, you're going to hear how, 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 what geniuses we are because we figured out over a five-year period what you're about to say in a minute and a half, right? Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this one, this one does feel tough actually. Uh, but we, so we, so that's what we thought and we started building to that. And we kind of, in a little, like we kind of lucked into, we looked into a lot of things and every successful startup looks into a lot of things. Gabe actually wrote a really good blog post about luck and startups we have on our website. But we we realized that what actually came to us is guys like Rocky Clearinghouse were like, well, the reality is problems are actually very similar, whether you have a portfolio of 20,000 wells or one, like you still have the same challenge of under, like you still need to do accounting, you still need land management, you still need to, to build a track activity around and so forth. 
Um, so we, you know, we quickly said, well, you know, we should pivot instead of trying to do a free product or a freemium product or whatever. Why don't we pivot and see if, we, if there's a B2B business? I think where we really lucked out was we we took the product to market. We went live with the product in the market and and sort of end of 2015, early 2016. Oil had sort of gone down to whatever it was, 38 bucks. So oil was a disaster. But in some ways, you know, people had been all the mineral buyers have been super busy just buying. So they had no time to figure out how to manage things or even think about software. And plus, software didn't exist. Now prices are low. They're like, well, we're not like there wasn't at the very beginning, there wasn't much activity happening for buying. Um, and they're like, now's a good time to start to get organized. And, and we've actually cut a few people, cut expenses back. So we need to be more efficient on how we manage our portfolios and software. You know, that's what software does, helps you be more efficient. Where we really lucked out, though, was that obviously from, you know, we, we launched a product at the bottom of oil at that time. Later, we found out there's an even further bottom in oil. <laughs> and then yeah. 38, we'd already sold the business. <laughs> yeah. But you can go negative 38. It was, it was fair to <laughs> say. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, very and much then, the bottom and then we cycle. ended up coincidentally selling it at December 2018, which is close to the, to the last peak yeah. of oil. And in between, not only did oil prices go up, but even more important to us was minerals in the past. It was, it was not institutional money. It was family offices, it was hustlers, but then you had the big private equity shops starting Long, to say, this is an interesting strategy yeah. and billions of dollars started flowing in. And these, and those guys couldn't even imagine starting like, you know, taking a billion dollars and putting it to work and not having software to manage your qualities, so yeah. your portfolios. So that's where we, we sort of got lucky where all of a sudden we thought we were gonna sell a product that was a freemium product and now we're selling it, you know, 10 to you know hundred thousand dollar plus a year subscriptions and that's a, a whole different you know business model for scale yeah i mean one i love that you walked us through that um arc because whoever says luck doesn't play a part in success is bullshitting you right yeah but it's about increasing your surface area and putting yourself in those positions to get lucky which you guys yep. did so you can't take away credit like hey you built something you had a thesis and you put yourself in position to get lucky um, you know, what's really interesting is two acquisitions to Inveris, which come to mind now that I've heard y'all's story and luck. I mean, you can look at Q engineering, Mark Mahorich mm -hmm. over there. I mean, speaking of 38 dollars, negative they, 38 dollars. They, <laughs> they, they, they closed, they closed their cell a month before oil prices went negative. I mean, you want to yeah. talk about getting lucky. I mean, um, there, there's always points in the arc where it's like, oh yeah, we got really lucky there, but that's interesting to hear um, that when Wall Street started, I mean, you had these huge mineral funds, uh, you know, coming coming in, and that really became a business was minerals. Whereas maybe uh, prior to that, there were a lot of landmen and people mm. making money, family offices, yeah. but uh, maybe not that institutional capital. Talk about being dumb. What I should have done was <clears throat> Q. I would Q wanted to recruit me. I was mostly fully vested on my equity, and I should have quit Microsoft <laughs> before we sold it. I would have got the same money either way, and then yeah, got a huge double, double dip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 you put two, two exits <laughs> yeah. to embarrass, you know? That's right. Well, if you if you could have 
double dipped on the acquisition, double dipped on an equity roll, and then double dipped again on the uh, when, yeah. when got bought. Jay coming back to Ameris, like, hey guys, it's that's me right. again. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's Wait, funny. Did, did, actually, to your point on luck, I mean, it's a good, it actually reminds me a little bit, and then we'll tell some good product stories, but it, it reminds me a little bit on the, where we started on like why banking, why are we doing advisory stuff instead of investing or, 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 or even a startup, you know, uh, on the, on the software side again. And like, I think another comment I would make is that I am, I'm an optimist. Um, but you know, for sure you, you I'm, I'm in technology, I'm in growth. I'm in like, I, I'm optimistic. What? I don't think you can be a founder if you're not an optimist, I'm optimistic, <laughs> but this but is never going to work. But Let's here's do a, it. But, but here's a, here's a caveat. Like, I'm optimistic, but I'm also pretty risk averse, right? Yeah. And so I think that the VC, and I think a lot of founders are in in a, you know, they have to be, right? Because like, it's for survival. So you have to be, you have to be a little bit of a gambler and you have to be very optimistic about the future. But you also, you know, I would wake up every day thinking like, what's, what's going to get us? You know, yeah. what is the thing and how do we, and how do we outmaneuver that? Like, and so I think the, if you think about the VC world, where it's like, it's all about the winners, it's all about the thousand X, and kind of the model dictates that, that actually dictates that they only really keep the winners in their mind, right? Because they're yeah. not gonna spend all their time like nurturing the other, it, it's just the way that model works. That's really interesting. And I think we yeah. have a, we, we relate much more to the founder who's like, you know, yes, we want the biggest win possible, and you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be doing this versus a salary job if you were not a risk taker, but you also want a win and it really matters that yeah. you have a good outcome. So that, that like windows, windows come and go. So it's not a continuous, it's not a public stock where you can sell it on any given day at any given hour. You have these windows and these moments in time. Yeah. And it, that's a really good point. So deal. me and Chuck Yates were in Vegas last month and we land in Vegas. Chuck wants to go hit blackjack and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And I'm sitting next to him. And I'm not gambling. He's like, you don't gamble. And I was like, no, I don't. I don't gamble. He's like, is it more of a, you don't know how to gamble or you just don't like gambling? I was like, well, both. I was like, I don't know how to gamble because I never have. I was like, but I'm someone that has an infinite appetite for risk. So <laughs> I don't think gambling in Vegas is. And uh, I mean, like, it's one thing that I go around here saying, I'm like, hedging's for pussies. Like, you, you swing for the fences. And yeah. so, but also keeping in mind that <clears throat> there are opportunities for, you know, you want to get on base at some point, especially when you don't have much and it's like, you want to take a win, but also, you know, I look at people like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg yep. and you look at Snapchat, you know, Snapchat yep. one, I mean, when they, when they turned down Facebook, I thought they were fucking insane, <laughs> which probably 99.9% .9 of the world did. And they ended up um, making the right call on that. So, mm -hmm. um, you that's look at Instagram too. I mean, a billion dollar acquisition. Yeah. Everybody was like, oh, this is crazy. But now Instagram alone is yeah. like 250, 260 billion. Yeah, right. I mean, but yeah. it was Hopefully a great, great outcome for those founders. Right. Yeah. And who would have known that it would have become what it is today yeah that's right which i mean facebook i mean also. i mean you guys are you i mean you guys i know um are, are probably familiar with the you know the the this literature as well on like the diminishing returns of you know there's a very big difference for you know most found most founders most humans right between sort of being wherever you are right now and having 50 million bucks of assets and i mean you kind of have to ask yourself like do you keep flipping the coin do you want you know is 250 that big a difference is a billion that big a difference there's like the real mission you know the mission is another side of it right yeah. and being mission driven is yeah and i think some of the ones you named are their mission guys right yeah. as well yeah and the money's talking talking to successful founders who've had really great exits here's what i've i've realized anything over 100 million feels the same right 
Right. Well, I like. I, I mean, I'll take their word for it. But yeah. That's, <laughs> that's I mean, not, not there yet. But well, yeah. I mean, Toby Rice told me one time. He's like, "Look, it's hard to spend a million dollars a year. Trust me, I try." Me and Jake were like, "Well, we want to have the ability yeah. to try." Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I watched Brewster's Millions several times as a kid, and like, he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think. I mean, we. I'll say you like in our in our business now we talk to founders all day and you know we're mostly focused on helping them exit their business and sell their business but obviously we talk to guys who are also fundraising and sometimes earlier stage and we don't we don't typically advise like formally advise people um or help them raise money at an earlier stage but what we you know the thing is there's a lot of times where it's especially in vertical SaaS, it's like a niche market and you got to understand like you don't. You might not have a billion dollar business, and it might not make sense to raise venture capital and do a Series A. Because once you do that, your hands are tied on when you can exit. Like typically, venture funds are going to have a blocker on anything that's you know less than three or four times the valuation that they put their money in, and that might push out. First of all, it's definitely gonna, almost certainly going to push out your chance for when you can exit. And two, it makes it makes the bar pretty high. And and as you know, I'm sure you've talked to. Never mind an oil and gas. So there's a lot of startups who are just sort of now fly. They can't do anything. Yes. They're stuck Man. in zombies. Actually, I had they a conversation. Raise a series B and a, they can't sell. I had a conversation. I'm not going to say who it is, but yeah. I had a conversation this week with that exact situation. The VCs have a blocker. The company, just due to COVID and stuff, kind of took three steps back. They were on track to do some really big stuff. Now they can't sell. And so now they're and they're running out of money at the same time. Yep. And so you're just well, like stuck in this purgatory. You have yep. to differentiate as a founder this is a great conversation you have to differentiate between um two different types of companies and i think gabe said it here mission driven versus economic outcome Mm -hmm. and i think that there's very real opportunities like i'm involved in them i advise them i help them out that you can go build something and 30 50 million dollar exit bootstrapped um there's a lot of opportunity for that out there. And that's life-changing money for most people. And by the um, way, that the equivalent exit, if you're venture back, you might have to do a $200 million exit to get the same cash yes. as a founder. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and a lot of people so, don't really think through those outcomes and, and think about that. So, and a few additional years of your life. Yeah, and also not. understand, actually, actually we, talk, we should talk about this too, because I think a lot of founders don't really understand it. And they should you know, get smart on this or, term sheet book by by Brad Fell, I think is, is is probably one of the best on this. But even even like how they structure like this the like pref rights, like they don't understand that like if there's 20 million in and the sale is, you know, only 25, even though they think they only sold whatever a quarter of their company, no, that's not how it works. Like they get their 25 first and then the split comes. Yes. And like yeah. and you might not get yeah, much at all. Yeah, if you don't, yeah, if you don't understand like, uh, <laughs> yeah, the prep stuff. But you'd be shocked. Um, you'd be shocked how few people yeah, do. Like, I mean, we've talked about that book multiple times on this show, Venture Deals by Brad Fields. Um, I mean, I've combed through that book multiple mm-hmm, times yeah. and really gives you an understanding. And so, I mean, that's like a digital wildcatters. I mean, mm-hmm. We've raised on uh, very um, uh, favorable terms for us as founders yep. because I studied that I studied that book and understood where I wanted. And I think to be. Yeah, by the, way, the other book plug that I think is is tied to that for other guy founders or want to be founders listening to this would be the um, Horowitz. Yeah, or that that's also just in terms of running your business. I think that's also I really think good. I listened Peter to Thiel that one like, book, I think. 
Mm. No, that, Peter Till did, I think. No, that wasn't Peter Till. That was Ben Horowitz. Oh, that was Zero to I said Yeah. Those were really good ones. Yeah, but I think it's it's cool because he goes through these stories of just constantly just getting kicked in the nuts throughout his entrepreneurial career. And you're like, oh, like I'm not the only one. Yeah. Speaking of that, super random. But did y'all see that John Arnold backing this uh, oil and gas credit fund yesterday. No, I didn't you see that story. Oh, well, anyways, the guy that's running that fund, his name is uh, uh, Richard Punch. <laughs> Dick Punch. Dick Punch. That's I was awesome. like, that's <laughs> perfect name for someone running an oil and gas credit fund. <laughs> I can't predict the future, but there were, uh, the, signs were, the signs were there as, as retail investors piled in. <laughs> Anyways, my my last one since since you mentioned Musk, like the last thing on, I I, certainly I'm not against. uh, I I have a massive amount of respect for the the billion dollar. You know, I I haven't done it. I I hope I have it in me someday. Right? It's 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 an incredible thing. But Musk is another good example where I'll remind you that he had an he had an exit already, right? And I think our perspective on these, you know. Little, Not a, quote, I mean, it was, quote. I don't know, 30 or 20 yeah, yeah. or 30 million bucks. It but wasn't. Any no, blood, I always, and he I spent mean, a million yeah, on yeah, yeah, you look at the, one Yeah, but. you look at the progression. <laughs> I mean, yeah. a lot of people don't know, but, um, you know, founded Zip2, uh, sold it off. I think that uh, he sold Zip2. It was actually pretty large, I think like $200 million. And then started X.com, which evolved into PayPal. And mm-hmm. so you could see his progression. Yeah. Um, and Somebody even read the, the founder book that just came out. That no, tells, I, a whole, I it. tells a whole story. Does it? I need to Peter Thiel. Oh, I need to read that. Yeah. Um, got yeah actually, a great PayPal. book on Elon Musk is, is it called Elon. Written uh, by Ashley Vance. Um, great book. Um, but anyways, um, you saw that progression. Mm-hmm. And even Elon still to this day says like, hey, if you're getting started, like start an internet business and, mm-hmm. yeah. and get a win. Yeah. So Yeah. There's, and I th- whether it's an internet business or, or not, I think the, um, the get a win yeah it's really you know, yeah i mean he didn't go straight to advice, he didn't go straight to good. making fucking rockets that that's can, right. can be reused and land i mean there is definitely a progression to getting <laughs> up to right. that point right that's right <laughs> so you guys um you know obviously you built out mineral soft things in the market had changed on a uh macro level uh that played in your favor and varus comes in as well which is also kind of an interesting part of the story because Around that time, um, you know, and Varys had been, um, um, I can't remember who the PE fund was. Uh, was it Gen? Was it Gen? Gen Star? Gen Star. Yeah. yeah, that's that, that was there well, when we bought. But Insight we, was in there for well, Insight. Before, Insight was the very first. Okay, one. that's who. That's that's that was uh, in, I think ten years. Ago, yeah, eight but, years before. But Varys was really the point being, Varys was really starting to ramp up and wanted to kind of be the kingpin in the, in the industry. And so they were setting up for acquisitions. Which- yeah, that's right. And Genstar, Genstar, that's their model is they, they, they do a lot of inorganic growth with their companies. That's why they did so many deals and mm-hmm. being a home run for, for those guys. Um, but I think we'll talk, if you, if you want, we can tell you a little bit about how we got there. Um, Cause we actually started what we called drawing in at the time. Um, Which we actually, you know, you know, <laughs> such, a good, such a good name. Like everyone loves DI. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, as a quick aside, after after the acquisition, I said we got acquired while they were still drilling info, but they were shortly about to announce the name change. And I, I was in like they brought me into this like executive meeting, and it was with the branding people and everybody. And it's a room full of people, and they had obviously been living and breathing this name change, super painful process for like a year. And the CEO was like, they were about to start talking about it. And he said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Oh, Gabe's here. He's new. Okay, hold on. 
okay, Gabe and Varys. <laughs> like, what do you think? You know, because I was the only fresh, you know, person in the room, and everybody's looking at me, you know, and it's clearly like they've spent a ton of money, ton of time, like massive brain damage trying yeah. to get this done, and I'm like. You know, I like it. <laughs> you know, I think it's, I think it's, it's really, good, guys. It's like really it. good. When's my check hit the account? I, I, <laughs> I would, I would make sure that people know how to pronounce it because it could be like an Enver, but maybe that's just me. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't just me. It turns no. out. Yeah. But, yeah. We, yeah, but so we, yeah. So we, I mean, a big pivotal moment for our business. Before, yeah, before you ahead. get in, like what I, what I want you to kind of get to in this yeah. is like talking about how y'all said like. How did the acquisition actually happen? Because I know that's actually what y'all are doing today at Scaleview is yeah. part of the advisory, like happy, helping to make those acquisitions happen. So uh, dive into yeah, that's that. That's a when perfect, you a perfect yeah. actually path into that. So we, I'll look back exactly when we did it, but probably a year and a half or so before we sold the company, maybe even more, I don't know. But we, one area we, we were really struggling with that we thought was really important. So there's sort of, sort of three major components to our product. And one was the accounting component. Second was land management. And then the third part was tracking activity around your, your properties. Um, because if you get those three overlaid, and, and historically they weren't, historically you had a land management system, probably Microsoft Excel, you had some accounting system, and then you had drawing info, but none of those things talk. So you couldn't get any real time insights to help you. So we had sort of tackled the accounting part, we had tackled the land part, and we were to build those ourselves thing that was a real struggle for us was the activity thing. We had tried some other startups at the time. I think now it's probably changed a little in the last few years. I think there are, you know, they're, they're, that's, that's a little, a little less challenging, but, but we, we had tried it a couple of vendors. It was a disaster. We just couldn't get like reliable data to overlay. And we just, we, we had a, a friend who worked at, uh, at, at, at Droid Info and he was sort of on the strategy side and we talked to him. We said, you know, maybe we should try to do a partnership with them because A, their data is, you know, super reliable and they spent a fortune cleaning it up and, and what have you. Number two, frankly, it's a lot of validation to have Droid Info as your partner. We gave up pretty significant economics on that partnership. Um, and, you know, I don't know, it worked out in the end, but who knows if it would have worked out long, long term on the kind of economics we gave them. Yeah, we did um, a revenue, to be, to be clear, a rate, we did a revenue, revenue share. share. We, didn't, we didn't do an equity partnership, no equity, but no. we did a revenue share with them on the sort of joint product. Um, and it was interesting because it was, you know, like Jay said, it was a little bit painful for us as a little company without a lot of revenue. And it didn't make any difference to them, you know. It's a time <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll take your check. That you always, know? yeah. That's a no. It's that a really true. interesting yeah. dynamic because, um, especially when you're a small company, you're like, "What could be nice if you know we got got paid for this?" That's and right. Like yeah. you're thinking about bottom line and yeah, being right. able to pay bills. So yeah, definitely feel that. So then, leading, you know, then going forward a little bit and how like the acquisitions or how that how we got to there. So. The other key piece for our platform, the accounting side, was able to bring in accounting data. And there are, there was, you know, three major players in the sort of accounting data market when we first started. One was a company out of Austin called PDS, Barry Barksdale. And there was Oildex, and then there was Energylink. And we had some crafty things in the very beginning to sort of end around them. And that's a whole other set of stories that... <laughs> Talk about startup, you know, pains. Yeah, we'll come uh, back. We'll come back to it. We'll come back. That's a good one. But um, we so so what happened is early on, PDS sold to Oildex. Not early on, actually. I guess you know, 
whatever, a little bit into our business. They sold. We're like, okay, now we're down to two. We ended up doing a partnership with OilDex as well to get data from them and have it fully integrated and clients don't have to pay separate bills and manually load in. And that, that was that was super powerful. Um, and then fast forward and we're about to go, Gabe and I are about to go as a, as a mini sponsor to OilDex's annual user conference. And it was in Colorado. And, uh, anyway, we, we go out there. The day before we're supposed to go out there, the CEO of OilDex calls us and says... Was, that, uh, was it Peter Flanagan? Craig Charlton. Craig Charlton. Oh, okay. He was the uh, Excel KKR guy. Okay. They brought oh, okay. him in. All right. In. All right. So, and he's like, I got some news for you. Because I know you have this partnership with Join Info. I don't know if you know yet. We're going to announce it tomorrow, but we just sold the business to Join Info. And we're like, well, you know, obviously, we're like, congratulations to them. And, and by the way, from what we heard, it was a home run for the oil, for the Oildex investor. I think it was, you know, multi that, that and it was smart for Join Info because it was a very strategic acquisition. It's yeah, been it their, a, it, looking back, it was a home run for a home run for sure. both sides, but they were extremely <laughs> happy about their exit. And, and in the end, it's been a, a heck of a business. Paris. But uh, so we, we're like, well, this is kind of scary because two of our partners are now merged. And there's a chance that they could like just cut us out and develop, you know, they're a software company. They could build, build their themselves. own mineral management yeah. software. Yeah. So we quickly pivoted. We, we flew out there to, I guess it was Park City. I don't know. But we flew out there That's right. and we changed our, you know, we were just supposed to be out there manning a booth, you know, and be nice, <laughs> nice sponsor. And next thing you know, we're having sort of early back channel communications about like, well, you know, this maybe makes sense because we are the glue that sort of brings these two products together today. Yeah. And maybe it makes sense. And so you start wedging, put that, that, that seed in. in there. That's right. And like, we had hey, some you know, conversations yeah. in the past about whether, you know, they had sort of, you know, around the edges said, you know, maybe we should buy you and what have you. And, and we sort of play with decline and, but this time it was like, you know, we had to finesse it because you can't look like you, you want to sell. And we knew they were the natural buyer for us. Can't look desperate. And that, right. was probably, <laughs> that was probably, that was probably, that was probably end of August, thinking back, maybe early September. It was around that time. And then, you know, we, we went through and we closed that deal in mid-December. So it was mm. three or four months from start to finish. Um, and, and it was, you know, I... I would, I would hesitate to wonder what it would have looked like if we had continued beyond 2018. Uh, you know, our, our biggest competitor just sold, um, just announced the sale, our biggest competitor back back then. Which was a weird acquisition. Yeah. Uh, Mineralware, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the economics on that, we'll have to get the Mineralware guys. On, yeah, on you have here. to get them on. But, but, you know, I, I thought, would... yeah, I thought, um, I, I thought the, uh, I mean, essentially they sold it at 3.2. X uh, on revenue, which is just uh, odd given the tailwinds and energy right now. It is, but, but I think it's, I still think it's, it's, look, if anyone can get an exit and they got an exit in all cash. Oh, that's what, uh, that's what I'm about mean, to say. I mean, that's what I'll yeah. say. Like, all I, cash, I, like you, you, don't, put, like, you put a premium on there. Don't, there's a lot take, of companies yeah. who didn't take offers and are zeros. Yeah. And 100%. I think, I think they actually, back, with, back with, to our point of getting on base. The right? limited right. stuff I know, <laughs> yeah, of, right. I, the limited stuff I know of where their business went in the three and a half years between when we sold ours and theirs. 
You know, it's a tough, really tough market for oil. Fuck yeah. yeah. Growth is, You're talking you about know, that three years, that was a fucking grind. Yeah. In, I would guess growth was a challenge because yeah. I know for mineral software, you know, growth, it, it became a challenge in, in some of that time. But so. which is also really, uh, which is a good talking point too, is that, I mean, multiple exits in a very niche uh, space in the same space. So that's actually pretty interesting too, is that you had multiple exits. Units of that, the the mineralware deal, and I'm I'm super happy for them. They were, they were a good competitor. Very like, very honest. Love that team over there. Who do they sell to again? Uh, S S and C. They're a financial technology company. They had bought a couple years back, um, Innovest, which we've made a product called PDS, another not the PDS we just talked yeah, about. Yeah, very confusing. It's also an accounting, but yeah. it's accounting software versus okay. accounting data. But there was two PDSs, <laughs> and and that was part of. They rolled it in, I think, okay. to, okay. to sort of grow that. Okay. But I, I, you know, those guys, they they've spun up other businesses that they're still working on and maintaining. Yeah. I think I think they had a really you know more than respectable exit on yeah. the thing, and if you. Look, you know, if you look back to that, that nape that uh, John and I went to in 2014, sort of the big, the big name, well-funded tech companies in and around the space. Then there have been some not so good outcomes. Yeah, you know, and for so sure. I think that's for uh, sure. That's 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 very good on them. Yeah, you know, for us, we, you know, I think we we kind of sold the business to 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 Drilling Info twice, right? The partnership was the first. Yeah. You know, chance to, and it is a common, you know, sort of date before you marry. How do we get involved with each other and get get a look at how complementary or not the businesses might be? Um, there's some risk to it as well. And when you're the little, I mean, you guys understand this. When you're you're the little guy and you're going to try to, you know, I think, dancing with elephants, they would call it, right? It's 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 risky, right? A lot mm-hmm. can a lot can go bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've as an aside, like just on all of this stuff, I have a lot of respect for Inveris. It's a well-run company. Mm-hmm. In all our dealings with them, they were honest. They did what they said they were going to do. And that you can't count on it, right? That, that's why mm-hmm. it's high risk to be a little guy. So you're like, well, they said this, but what if? And that's the scary stuff. Um, yeah. That always they always did what they said, right? So that that's the main thing. Which is I'm curious in those, in those, those like four months of kind of like negotiations, was mm-hmm. it them kind of driving the outcome, whether it be just through whatever it may be, or is it you guys kind of pushing more so to yeah. say like, hey, this is kind of what we're looking for? And it's a um, so that was yeah, that 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 was me playing playing banker, right? So that mm-hmm. that's the most direct like prelude to thinking, I think, you know, I think this is what I want to go back to doing again full time, right? Scale yeah, like this is where my experience really comes into play. <laughs> that's right. It's 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 good. Um and uh take that one year of MBA and go to town, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> dangerous level of knowledge um it was you know the interest was there and right and the fact that we had the partnership in the background meant that we we had a level of comfort on both sides that was really helpful um we both had also a framework i think for like what is the value here why does this even make sense like we we all we all we had actually data to support that right we said well here's what we've done in the product here's like so so that was really helpful context and then the like, what does it take to get it done? Um, one of the interesting things about this part of the market generally, this part just being like the small end, frankly, um, you know, the lower middle market um, type of deal is that it is less a financial engineering exercise to say, well, our weighted cost of capital is this because we have this debt facility and then we're going to, that may be a conversation on their end deep in the background of like, how do we write this check in an efficient way? 
But that's never the conversation with the target. The target in the real conversation for us is like, what's it going to take to get this done, right? And our signal, which we believed, even though you know we, we had some fears, and which we you always do when you're a startup, our position was like, look, um, we just raised an A round 11 months ago. We, we, we raised an A with uh, Montrose Lane, uh, Cottonwood Venture, another name change on us. But um, Cottonwood at the time, Montrose Lane, love those guys. Um, and so we, but we had the, with the balance sheet and the momentum and everything else to keep going. And that was our position was like, look, our default tiers that were heads down running the business. We just added more capital. Like we've got a lot of runway that that's what we're going to do. Unless there's a sort of take it today, you know, price and having the investor involved also gave us a real, not, not, not negotiating tactic, but a real um, sort of level, like it gives us a real hurdle to clear and say, well, look, these guys contractually don't have to say yes to a deal unless we get above a certain threshold. And if we're talking about deals be below that, then they, they literally have approval. Right? It's funny. So I said to. earlier, and I said, that's the reason you, that you had to be careful about taking an adventure. The, the plus side is if you do have a process, you, you can point a to a number right? and peg a number to say, well, we contractually can't sell for less than this. Now, the reality is, you know, probably can uh, not contract your outies you'll get them yeah sell below that but at least you can point to a number that's like way up there it's a starting point so yeah did sure. you guys have that from raising the series a we did yeah okay yeah. we did um and um how much was the series a big four million bucks yeah four million i think <laughs> smaller than most seed <laughs> rounds yeah like you said when we sold the company i think we had cash in a balance sheet equal to all the money we raised in, in the entire life of the company. Like, nice. Yeah, we had five or six million we, we in were, cash on the balance sheet. We yeah, sold it. we so were pretty capital official. We raised yeah. probably, I think we raised five or so in the whole life of the company, about yeah. five million bucks. Yeah. As Jay said, we, we sold it with most of the money in the bank in the end. Um, but, you know, that was that was the process. And then, you know, the, the back and forth, you know, issues on the economics are all um, cash versus stock, right? Which the blog post again we, 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 we've written about that so it's found ourselves on scale yeah, so <laughs> i want to link those blog posts yeah in, cool. in the show yeah. notes that way people can go read those i haven't seen them yeah. so i'd like to read them uh, myself so we'll put a link to those for sure cash and stock is 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 a big one um and you know we um just at, at a high level I, we, we we started with kind of a mix of cash and stock as as the opening offer and we do more of an all cash structure with them mm -hmm. Which made the investors happy. You know, the investors want cash. Yeah. Um, that's their business, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, so we, we, we moved to that structure with the exception of um, a couple of co-founders. You know, they, they insisted that we roll a certain amount of stock. And um, by looking back, I wish they'd insisted we rolled more. It's been a great company, right? And so, we, you know, that's hindsight. Um, but, um, and, and, and then a lot of the management, to be honest, a lot of this sort of, Here's the deal. You get really, and this is something we talk to other founders about all the time, about the deal process itself. It's very hard to sort of put the thought in your mind about what's gonna what's it, what's it gonna be like when we sell this thing and the wire hits the bank and the shares are transferred and this isn't my job anymore. There's good and bad that comes with that. And there's a lot of like wrestling with it that you have to deal with. Yeah. You hear a, a lot of founders deal with depression after yeah. um, acquisitions, which is, it's kind of this dichotomy, right? Because, mm -hmm. okay, you had a great economic outcome. Um, 
you built something great, we're able to sell it, but then all of a sudden you lose a kind of big part of your identity, right? Yeah, so. yeah, there is, and there's a, you know, I'm big, um, I, I'm, I, there's this like uh, hedonic treadmill, you know, concept at uh, Justin Kahn. We we did Y Combinator with this with Mineral Soft, and you know, some of those guys. Justin Kahn was, you know, one of the Twitch founders. Yeah, he's done some other stuff. Yeah, he talks about that a lot, right? I think he's a big one. He's like, yeah, I think he actually he opened up about that a lot over yeah. the past year. Um, and, and wrote some good material on it. Um, just talking about, you know, I can't remember uh, what the outcome was for Twitch, but I mean, billion dollar, you know, unicorn. And then yep. felt that pressure that he's like, you know, I got to go do another unicorn and mm-hmm. just dealt with a lot of um, uh, mental uh, hurdles that came yep. along with it. So I think you, maybe one of the things that helped, by the way, we, we weren't sort of contractually obligated to stay at the company after we sold it. And, and in fact, John left almost immediately after our CTO. Yeah. Gabe and I stayed on. And part of our reasoning for staying on was to help our team make sure they got sort of integrated well and took care of them and, and so forth. Which, but it also helped because we had something to do for a And then it really helped right. when COVID yeah. rolled around. Like, well, maybe we should. We ended up being there for almost two and a half years. Yeah. The original plan was maybe a year. Yeah. And then COVID rolled around. Well, we're definitely going to stay now for yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, that really um, helped, like, mentally, I think, too. Yeah. That's, um, that's also an interesting dynamic, too. Um, you know, kind of post acquisition, um, you know, different companies have different situations with earnouts and, yeah. um, you know, how long you need to stay on. Is it critical? But that actually says a lot about you guys that you wanted to stay on. You cared about the team to make sure that it was a smooth transition to the team because you got to think about the, the, the emotions and volatility, yep. um, that they go through yep. as, as well. It's a lot of change for them too. So I think the other thing too, that we did, I think that was important for a lot of the team. You know, most of the team had equity, um, but but a lot of our growth and headcount had been, you know, within the last year, we probably double. Every year we were doubling, at least doubling revenue and definitely doubling headcount. There was a lot of people who hadn't even, normally it's a one-year cliff on vesting. So we had a lot of employees who hadn't even invested and the founders came in and we, you know, we agreed to let everyone actually vest That's awesome. one year to yeah. make sure everyone got something out yeah. of it. Like, yeah, yeah. I felt like I had a win. Yeah. I think that's important too. To it is sure very important. That's what I, I tell a lot of our team members. It's like a lot of founders, I'm not going to say a lot, but there's definitely cases of founders that uh, don't give a shit about economic outcomes for mm. their team members. Um, yep. They take advantage of the lack of knowledge around restricted stock units and stock mm. options and how they work. And they don't put a lot of time into structuring things to make sure that their team members have a good, a good economic Even the outcome. ones who didn't, so, we even gave a, a least a small cash bonus as yeah well. mm-hmm. That's I, what I, I think, think uh, i think alan gilmer did that but i don't think many people had stock options coming i think yeah. he famously went to the bar with a duffel bag of cash <laughs> yeah started in which is a very alan gilmer <laughs> yeah. that does not surprise me one <laughs> yeah. bit awesome. alan's one of our biggest investors <laughs> yeah. and i was like is i wish how he uh, sent the funds to let me tell you let me tell you we go to raise uh you know we raised a seed through angel investors and i send alan a uh message on twitter i'm like hey alan we're gonna raise some capital and would love to have a conversation with you he's like hell yeah send the deck i send the deck i didn't hear anything from him from like three weeks i'm like hey man just following up uh wanted to see if you want to get on the phone and talk and uh he's like mark me down for this amount send me send me ducks <laughs> 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 That's awesome. oh yeah cool yeah. <laughs> That's right. Which two raising was like this. <laughs> yeah. i'm a big yeah. i'm a big fan uh, of alan and, and like great. alan's thing is like he just i mean alan very much just wants 
to be involved with cool things and yeah. wants to help the next gen. I mean, he's awesome. Help the next generation up. Like, I mean, I have not heard one person have a bad thing to say. Like, about you cannot spend five minutes so. with Alan and I'd be like, man, this is a good guy. That's yeah. right. I just yeah. love that he he's always got like these funny stories that he tells, like, especially when you get him and. <laughs> Chuck Yates together and they just go and like full on old man <laughs> telling these old stories back and forth. It's awesome. I've got a friend, this is crazy, but I, I, I got a friend from college. I went to Yale for undergrad and I've got this friend from college and she grew up in Berkeley and went to Yale and like did like her like master's or doctorate at MIT. She's like this tech, neuro, crazy character, super interesting. Yeah. But I, if I were to put people in just on the globe on a spectrum, I would have thought that it was like, Coco, Coco at one end and Alan at the other. And then, like, some, I mean, just, you know, and I never would have even thought of the two of them in the same day. Uh, and and at some point I got a text from her and this is in the last year or two. She's like, do you know Alan Gilmer? <laughs> oh, I do. Why? And she's like, well, I'm, um, I'm drinking margaritas with him on Cinco de Mayo. And I was like, how in the world? And, she, and, and that's her thing. I, she, she's writing some kind of book. I'll have to catch up with both of them and find out what the deal. But she's like writing this book and somebody said, you got to meet Alan. And she did. And I mean, they just hit it off because that's out like anybody would right? yeah. with Alan and, and like, you know, uh, can find common ground with anyone. That's right. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I think right. the only person that was like Alan's a suit tailor. <laughs> oh, there's much business there. So I mean, that's why me and Alan get along. I mean, yeah, right. we very much have uh, common ground from our, our uh, backgrounds in oil field and, uh, yep. uh, Coming up, I think in the he tech probably industry, so. the private jet guys too. I, I <laughs> we we bummed into Alan many a time before they bought us on Southwest. Yeah, and like he's had obviously immense success, and he was you know Southwest. He had, he had business select, so he got a good seat yeah. <laughs> as far as Southwest yeah, seats go. To, and we were definitely not business select. Yeah, right was So man, I I know on this podcast we could probably talk for three hours, but. uh our listeners aren't sitting here uh, suffering with us. Our air conditioning is not working back in the <laughs> podcast studio. So I'm sitting here fucking sweating uh, bullets. Um, so let's save stories for, I, I think that we're gonna have a, a part two on this yeah. podcast. Now that I uh, have some context into y'all's backgrounds and um, how y'all are advising uh, startups in the M&A process now, um, I think that there's probably a, a whole other episode that we can do walking through um, that that process. Yeah, alone. Yeah, I think, so. I, I think so. I mean, one, you know, the the last comment I was going to make about kind of our deal and in that four months, what happened? You know, between the yeah, going to the actual finish closing, finish that up. The biggest thing that that happened. I mean, to me, the most kind of consequential thing that happens is you get get it in your head as a founder for the first time you actually let yourself think about selling the company right and you think about all the good things you think about like you know I'm, 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 what, what's my life going to be like like you think mostly about the good things there are some bad things as you pointed out but i'm gonna have security for my family it's this is going to be great you know i can pick a project you know next it's all this stuff is going to be positive but then you live in this limbo where you've let the idea into your head, but the deal is not yet done, right? And that is like super scary place to be. It's a dangerous place to be because you have mentally committed to this outcome. And if something does go wrong, there's a real question. Am I going to be able to put myself back in that like grinder mode? Am I going to be able to put that back down and go back and, and do, you know, startup life like I've, like I've done before? 
Um, and so it's a, it's a really tough thing. There's a lot of risk there. I'll be really complimentary again about Inveris. They, they did what they said they were going to do. There's attorneys on both sides and they are what they are. So you're always kind of whipping them and trying to tell them not to pick fights over stuff that doesn't matter. And you're, you know, you're super focused on a deadline. And we were, we were targeting close right before Christmas. Right. And so we're like, this cannot slip at all. If it's Christmas, then the attorneys aren't going to fucking work over Christmas. And, time and then it's going to be New Year's. <laughs> then there's some tax thing. If it rolls into the new year, yeah. it's going to be a pain in the ass. I'll have to redo stuff. And time kills deals. You're right. So we were just pushing super, super hard to get it closed on the day we, we picked. Um, and we did. Um, but I think, you know, they don't always work that way. And a big, a, you know, a big part of what, what we do now at ScaleView is, is, you know, run that process, manage that process, provide more certainty that the things are going to happen on time and as promised and be there for the founder, right? Through that very fraught, it's a really hard, it's, it's, you know, it's strangely enough, it's one of the toughest parts of the process, in my opinion, even tougher than the ups and downs of startup life. Like if, if, if you're, if you're in it for any time and you're any good at it, you know how to like put on your blinders and you're like, I'm startup mode. This is what I do. I grind, we're going to grind through it. You know how that goes. But once you've let that exit into your head, it's a really tough time. Um, it's a really tough time. And so I actually, I, I learned that at my last startup, like I always say that spent too much time in the calculator and mm -hmm. um, thinking about economic outcomes and it puts you in a bad headspace. Really uh, bad. Yeah. Um, you got that Excel spreadsheet with the waterfall and you're, yeah. you know, you're just imagining what, you know, and that's the good and the bad. It is, you know, kind of a life changing thing you're contemplating. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, you know, not everyone is, I mean, I guess my last comment on that is, you know, maybe, maybe people don't, I would, I'd still like to plug scale view and say, even in our process, we would have greatly benefited from somebody like us who was an outside party with all their attention just on the process. And it's hard to be the good cop and the bad cop as the founder when you're selling the company and you want to negotiate hard, but say, also, I'm so excited about this combination. It's going to be great. We'll work together for the next 20, you know, 20 years. <laughs> uh, a banker's really good for that. Yeah. But the real, the real issue is that it doesn't always go as smoothly as ours did looking back. And yeah. The buyer doesn't always do exactly what they said they were going to do. And yeah. Do it on time. Yeah. And, you know, once you, and they know, um, they know very well what's going on in your head once you've let that deal idea in and they know how that shifts leverage. And they're going to be, they're going to play into that. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and, and people will absolutely use that as a they've, they've against they've, you. They they've can. given you yeah. a bit of a taste. I yeah. mean, you see Elon Musk doing this to a certain degree with uh, Twitter <laughs> right, right now. Yeah, um, right. So look, I, I, last thing I'll say he holds too, all the cards. Yeah. I'll do one, <laughs> one last quick plug. I think Gabe made it earlier and you know, there's a lot of oil and gas people obviously listening to this and oil and gas startups. Inveris, great company, great acquirer. We hear a lot of people poo-poo them, just says, oh, their software is no good. I mean, that's a joke. The company is, you know, a, a hyper success, one of the most successful, never mind oil and gas, one of the most successful private SaaS companies in the world. Yeah. And their acquisition process is world-class and the way they treat the people after you join it, I couldn't say anything better about them. In closing, I have one question and we can just keep the answer short. I'm just kind of curious and I'm sure listeners are as well. I think it also kind of tells, like it ties to doing a, a part two, more focused on scale view. In your personal lives, after the exit, money's in the, in the like you're, you're closed out, everything's good. What would be the biggest change that you've saw in your personal lives, if there was one? 
Um, could be stress is gone. It could be like <laughs> uh, you would th- you would you would think. I bought a I bought a motorcycle. I uh, took a three you month. Bought yeah. and sold all the toys already. <laughs> full circle on a lot of the toys. Yeah, actually, I did kind of do that. Um, <laughs> I might have sold the top on used cars. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, my bigger thing. Look, my um, my disclaimer on this is that I had a bunch of. Uh, you know, it's like it's like going on a diet and stopping smoking and stopping drinking all at the same time. And you're like, maybe which one of those was good? Um, I had my first child. He's 18 months old now. We're expecting another one um, any any day now. Congrats. Um, thank you. Um, so so my life has changed. Right. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot going on. But um, per, I, I, perspective for me is is different. Um, I. Uh, um, and it is a combination of those things, but it's it's been a uh, reason for me to sort of step back and think about why I played that game to begin with, um, in the context of a of a win, right? In the mm-hmm. context of it going going incredibly well, um, it's kind of made me think before before we started Scaleview. It's made me think like, you know, why did I play that game to start out with? Where does it fit into my um, into the bigger picture for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and and it by the way, it does fit i mean that's hence hence scale view here i'm not you know i'm not sort of gonna sit around and, and just hang out with my, my family to get tired of that version of me um <laughs> but but I, I think being a little bit more thoughtful about not just you know and on that level i was i think i was pretty thoughtful about like the tactics and what are we going to go build and why and how are we going to sell it and all that tactical stuff but i think really for the first time now after like the working in finance and starting mineral soft and selling it yeah, I, I finally kind of asked the question of like, what's the game I'm playing and why um, at all? Like, That's actually, you, time? you know, from my point of view, you know, we have two two different types of founders sitting across the table right now. Had economic outcome and an exit, and one's ad. So that means it's y'all have money, we don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as far as money, we have none. But it's like sometimes I actually get scared of economic positive economic outcomes because I personally enjoy the journey and the grind so much that I'm like, I don't ever want to fucking lose it. Like I like the hard times because you talk about, you put on the blinders, you're like, we're going to fucking grind. You think it's going to make you complacent? I'll never, I'll never personally be complacent, but I just like get like, like I like, like I know that I'll look back 10 years from now and I'll miss the times that were hard. Mm -hmm. I know that. And I mean, I already look back now to five years ago, and I think some of the really hard times, and I'm like, damn, those were we had some good times. It's pretty. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> right. make a deal with you. We'll help you sell your business, and then we'll make you invest in bangers. You come join us. We're gonna do in here on uh, the podcast. Be, we need we need more founders. Before as, before as before we end the show, though, I want um, just real quick. Um, let's talk about who are the uh, target. Uh, startups or founders for Scaleview. I mean, is there a bucket that you guys have defined in terms of uh, stage or valuation? Um, you know, who's the ideal startup if they're listening to this show that should be talking to you guys? Yeah, I'll 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 take a stab at it. I you know we say founder led companies. That's that's important to us. It's just I and I think it's more of just um, there are a lot of different flavors of advisors and banks in the market. That's that's who I think should pick us. You know because we we get it. We've been there. Yeah. And so I think that's sort of the right the right client for us. Software companies um, in general, but 
technology companies broadly. Um, we're working on some stuff that has a hardware component um, now, um, technology-enabled services. There are a lot of those models that they look and feel like software companies, at least on the financial side, which is, yeah. which is really exciting. Um, Scale-wise, I, you know, I sort of five to 15 or $20 million in recurring revenue is a pretty, is a pretty good sweet spot, mm -hmm. I think for us and for the, and for the market. Yeah. Um, just to be able to look at, uh, a significant transaction. And that's, that's really the last thing I would say is it's mostly folks who are now it's, this isn't necessarily when we want to meet and get to know you. We'd like to get to know you now, right. Whether, whether you're thinking about that or not, but what will you actually end up paying us to do someday? Maybe. Um, it would be work on what I would call a significant transaction. You're going to sell the company to a strategic or a financial buyer, or you're going to sell, you know, a significant por portion of your shares and roll some forward. Um, yeah. but it's kind of a real money thing. You yeah. Know, most people don't need to pay advisors to raise an A round. They don't want to hear from an advisor usually on an A round mm -hmm. anyway. Um, yeah, that's kind of crazy to me. Small. Like I talked to a startup the other day that used an investment bank for an A round. I was like, why? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, an A round also would, used to not be a hundred million bucks or right, whatever. That's the so, change. So I would maybe, say 20 million you know, transaction yeah. size is yeah. sort of the floor where even if it was an A round, I mean, that'd still be mm -hmm. weird. But yeah, I think if you look at it from that perspective, either yeah. revenue or tra overall transaction size, mm -hmm. 20 million. Sense. You guys, um, is it only, uh, are y'all only uh, working on acquisitions or do y'all help on capital raises as well? Yeah, we, we certainly help on, on capital as okay. well. Um, and, um, you know, I said secondary, it doesn't, that doesn't have to be the case. But That's what like, I was asking if it was only secondary. Or it, it, if, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that, okay. that kind of goes back to your comment on the A round. If yeah. somebody's going to raise a significant round and it, it, it really like is worth the investment to optimize the process. And if you're going to raise 20 or 50 million bucks, it probably is like, yeah. that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, but, um, what's typical for us and traditionally in those, you know, $50 million, let's call it, um, you'll see a portion go out the door for founders for secondary, um, and then a portion to capitalize the business. And that's kind of a classic growth equity one where, there are a lot of players out there, um, a lot of capital providers there. And so it makes a ton of sense to have a banker help you run a process to look at mm -hmm. a lot of options. Yeah, understood. Well, guys, this um, this is this is probably one of my favorite shows. Yeah, one of my done. favorite episodes. People um, ask me all the time. Yeah. It's like picking your favorite children. But since we're sitting here right now, this is. Yeah, I can already tell like this is uh, one of our best podcasts that we've done over our uh, coming up on four years doing the podcast. This so. is the best one that Jay and I have ever done. Yeah, well, the only one you're, you're no longer <laughs> by default. No, 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 no longer we'll, podcast we'll, version. When you, so. when you eventually sell this one day, we'll flip the tables. What are you guys on, <laughs> yeah. your, story, right? on your podcast? We'll do it. We'll do it. Absolutely. So, guys, appreciate y'all coming down from Austin and taking the time to do this. I know this is going to be extremely valuable for people that are listening. Um, guys, if uh, you're a startup founder, aspiring founder, listening to the show, uh, reach out to these guys and start building a relationship. I mean, you don't want to start building it when uh, it's time to start doing deals. Uh, you want to you want to start building relationships early in the process. I'm sure these guys would appreciate um, talking to you and just have a ton of insight to offer. And they're founders. They're founders. They're yeah. founders. That's, the that's what I love thing. about it. So, guys, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, thanks for having us. Let's go to a cooler room. <laughs> <laughs>